Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached October 9th, 2011 by Leon Yoder and is entitled, The Morning Christian. Good morning everyone, I greet you in Jesus' name. It's good to be here together this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to a familiar verse, Isaiah 57 and verse 15. And then we'll go to a, a, to a New Testament passage in the Gospels. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. <clears throat> For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The the word that I want to notice in, in this verse is contrite. The contrite and humble spirit, the heart of the contrite ones. And this verse is telling us that the high and holy God, the eternal God, who dwells in a high and holy place, also dwells with those who are contrite and humble. And he's not just parked there, but he's there to do something. He is there to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones, to revive, to build, to produce something in that heart, in that spirit. But it is the the humble. It is the contrite that God dwells within. Then go with me to Luke Uh, Chapter 18, where Jesus tells about two men that went to the temple to pray. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now the Pharisee, the Pharisee was, the Pharisee's life was not anything like the lives of those men in Sodom that we read about this morning in our Sunday school lesson. But his heart was not humble. His heart was not contrite. He was rather pleased that he wasn't like the men of Sodom or like others around him that didn't live righteous, in quote, lives. And he mentions to God a couple of things that he does. He fasts, he tithes, and so forth. And I don't think that Jesus was criticizing him for doing that. But rather the problem was that he was not contrite. He was not humble. The publican, the publican was afraid to come close even to God. And he was afraid to even lift his, or so uh, uh, humble before God that he wouldn't even lift so much as his eyes toward heaven. But he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus said to contrite people in in Luke 6, in verse 21, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I believe that goes parallel with what what, uh, he said there in verse 14 of Luke 18. Everyone that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Those who weep now shall laugh. There will be joy. And in the in the Beatitudes, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, Jesus, the holy son of God, was a man of sorrows. What was he sorrowing about? What did he uh, mourn about? A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, it says of him in Isaiah. You know, his greatest grief, uh, I believe, was for others, for mankind, for people. The sinfulness of man, the suffering brought on the human race by mankind's sin, the terrors that innocents have had to endure because of the evil and wickedness uh, of men. He wept for Jerusalem. He wept at Lazarus' death. The Beatitudes bless those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness 
for mankind. He wanted to see man become righteous. He wanted to fill men with righteousness. And he died to to make that possible. His grief was for others. The publican was grieving uh, for his sin, for his own shortcomings, for his sin. And I believe that that is the mourning that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 5. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sorrow, contrition. That's a characteristic at conversion. When uh, a person is truly converted, they, they, there is contrition. They are contrite in their heart. It's a part of repentance. In James 4, verse 8, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, he was saying to those, to the sinners. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now, Jesus said there in in Luke that that uh, blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. And here in James, he's telling these laughing people they should weep. They have not been contrite. Whatever their laughter is about is not about, it's not a holy laughter that comes from a clean heart. He calls them, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Whatever all is uh, making you light of heart, if there is... If your hands need to be cleansed and your heart needs to be purified and your double mind needs to be single in its purpose, mourn and weep and humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And then there can be a holy joy and a holy laughter. Sinners must come to see their need. And come to a place of true repentance and sorrow for their sin and a turning from their sin. They confess like the like the publican and they ask forgiveness, uh, crying out to God in for mercy. One of the questions uh, at baptism, are you truly sorry for your past sins? Are you truly sorry? Mourning, sorrow, and contrition is a characteristic at at conversion. It's uh, it's a part of repentance, a part of conversion. But mourning, the sorrow and contrition, uh, is also an ongoing characteristic of of a disciple of Jesus. When we fall short. And we do. I do. When we realize more clearly our shortcomings. 
uh, where we are now, what happened today. Uh, and even looking back to see how in a, in a clearer way, how f- selfish I was, how stubborn I was. There's a, a sorrow. There's a grief in the in the heart of one who is walking humbly with God. Not all mourning is equal. And I'd like to think about uh, for a few minutes several degrees of mourning or several degrees of lamentations that I think help us to understand the mourning that Jesus was talking about. The first level that I'd like us to think about of mourning is a mourning for my sinful acts and for my guilt and for the consequences in my life. You know, Adam and Eve, when they were leaving the Garden of Eden, you imagine they were laughing? No, there was there was mourning for what they were leaving. A place of perfect bliss. We disobeyed. We disobeyed and we can't stay in this beautiful place any longer. They were sad. Uh, Cain was a marked man. We studied about him just uh, a few weeks ago. And he was saying, this is more than I can bear. He was suffering the consequences of his sin. And he was not happy. Esau wept bitter tears for the lost blessing. He had despised his birthright. And he had lightly discarded something that was very valuable, really. And he set it aside for a short-term satisfaction, short-term pleasure, and nothing would change what had taken place. He had lost that blessing. And he was weeping. He was not happy. The children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea had refused to follow Moses into the promised land. And then you remember they tried on their own to uh, to go in and take it. And uh, they were beaten back by the people on the other side of the river and they returned defeated. And it says that they wept before the Lord. They were not happy. But the Lord would not hearken to their voice nor give ear to them. Uh, Moses was recording this. And Moses knew about the sorrow of consequences also. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it like God had clearly commanded him. And as a result, God told him he couldn't go into Canaan. And he was sad. And Moses asked God one time, "Uh, God, would you please reconsider? Would you allow me in? And God said to him, no, no. And don't speak to me again of this matter. Don't don't ask me again about it. You get a look. That's all. You can't go in. You disobey. It was a consequence that that uh, he suffered and he was sad about it. He mourned about it. Very disappointing to him. When we do wrong, there are consequences. 
and some of them are immediate, some of them are long-term, and we suffer to some degree because of sin, wrong choices, and we can be sorry for the effects that, that this has had on us or is having on us. If we get angry and, and, uh, and a relationship is damaged or broken and there are tensions, we may feel really troubled about it. And what have I done? They'll never like me again. And I have really, this, this is painful. I, I wish I hadn't done that. Or if there is some lapse in integrity and the truth wasn't told. And there's a pain of being mistrusted. And how can I regain their confidence again? Or maybe being covetous and making unwise financial decisions, credit decisions, and and facing the stress of debts that are mounting and piling interest piling up and so on that's that's miserable or at some point you know we could be we can look back over our life and maybe we tend to do that when we're a little older more often but to see years that were wasted or were not as effective as they could have been and see the a lack of spiritual development and recognize how unequipped we really are and how that limits our usefulness and how little we've accomplished through our lack of faith and our lack of obedience. And we mourn for ourselves and are disappointed in ourselves and the effect that this carelessness and selfishness has had on ourselves. Well, that is a a kind of mourning. But the mourning that Jesus was talking about, the mourning that the contrite heart goes beyond that. It can't stop at this point, or it would it can lead to despair. As in the case of Judas, there was a grief on his part, but it was a self-centered kind of grief. The sorrow of the world worketh death, is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. There's another level of mourning, a second level of mourning, that uh, where we mourn the effects that my sins, our sins, and our shortcomings have had on others. Maybe even the innocent and undeserving. Our lives do affect other people and our wrong choices do affect others. David's adultery, who was affected? Well, David was affected, certainly, but beyond him, Bathsheba was affected, David's wives, his family. It uh, was prophesied, the sword, war, shall not depart from thy house. That's what Nathan told him. 
the enemies of the Lord blasphemed. Another account from David's life, uh, the time when he he set in motion that census of his army, counting Israel's army, and God brought judgment. Some pride in David's life that that uh, drove him to do that, even when he was counseled not to by one of his generals. <clears throat> and God brought judgment, and 70,000 men fell, died to uh, because of pestilence. And God showed David... Uh, he was able to see the angel of the Lord, the angel of God, standing with a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. And David said unto God, this is from First Chronicles 21, verse 17. And David said unto God, is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I, uh, even it is I that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me in my father's house, but not on thy people that they should be plagued. What have they done? But they were affected. Our, our selfishness and our pride, our stubbornness will have consequences, not just for us will affect our children, will affect our families, our brethren in the church. It will be it will have an effect or lack of it on people that we meet. And when we see that, uh, we can we should grieve for that. When when we've been angry and see what we've done, I've hurt this person, I've hurt someone. Not just uh, looking at how it affects me, but I caused another one to suffer. If I was, uh, if there was a lapse of integrity, and I wasn't honest, and other was deceived, maybe made a a bad choice, or through my covetousness, uh, that I made decisions that now is bringing pressure on my family. bringing them to suffer or reflecting back, like I mentioned a bit ago, and thinking about wasted years or years that were not as devoted as they should have been and leaving us spiritually undeveloped, under-equipped, limited in our usefulness and how little was accomplished how much is left undone. The training that didn't happen at home. The encouragement, the support of brotherhood that wasn't there when it was needed. The witness that didn't happen. Where might those children be? Or church members? Or sinners? If I had been all I should have been. It's a it's a grief. It's a shortcoming that affects others. And it's right to recognize that and it's right to confess it and it's right to mourn. 
uh, I have. We should, if we see that. But, but we must not stop there either, because there is yet there is yet another level of mourning as well, and that is mourning because God mourns. Because we have grieved God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.30. And we remember the story of Peter and how he denied Jesus in Caiaphas Hall. And how after he denied uh, the third time, how the cock crowed, the rooster crowed. And in Luke 22, verse 61, it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the words of the Lord. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He mourned. He had grieved Jesus. He knew that Jesus knew. He had grieved the Savior, the one about whom he had said, Thou hast the words of life. In Psalm 51, we see the heart cry of, of David, his cry to God, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Psalm 32 is another psalm of penitence and confession and repentance. This, this kind of mourning is, is not a loud crying because things haven't gone my way. It's, it's lost fellowship with God. God. It's a recognizing that, that um, it's a mourning of weakness, of failures and struggles with the flesh and the fallen nature. This mourning is a brokenness before God. It's a confession of sin. It's a repentance. It's a cry for mercy. And Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's the, that's the wonderful part. They shall be comforted. Now, joy doesn't come because we cry. Joy doesn't come because we're mourning. It's not just a, some therapeutic process of tears, but joy comes with the comfort that comes from God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, the prodigal son will not turn to that story. We're familiar with it. But first of all, remember how he grieved for himself. He found, he, he recognized the state that he was in. He was in a bad situation and he didn't enjoy this diet either. But he came to a place where he said, 
I have sinned against heaven. My Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. So he mourned for himself. He was sorry for his dad. And he was grieving before God also. There is a way from where we are uh, for any of us, uh, even through in the middle of consequences. Uh, mourning doesn't erase consequences. But uh, there is there is a way from where we are. And I'm very, very thankful for that. And I've benefited from that myself. Uh, a few things. One is uh, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness for sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That that publican. I'm happy for him. He went home justified. We can go home justified. We can be justified. There is cleansing from guilt. There is healing and restoration and comfort. Isaiah, the gospel of the Old Testament. Isaiah 61, just the first three verses from there. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You'll recognize those as words Jesus quoted in, in the New Testament, I believe in Nazareth. There is healing. There is a restored relationship with, with God. There is help. There is grace. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. He giveth grace to the humble. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. There is help. There is grace. For the life that we're called to live and where we're called to live it. Part of that life is gratitude. I think a couple of weeks ago, sometime recently, I referred to this, uh, maybe it was last Sunday, <clears throat> to uh, that weeping woman in Luke 7 in Simon the Pharisee's house. She was forgiven much. And she loved much. And I was thinking about this. Would this statement be true that Christian joy is proportional to our sorrow for sin? There be some truth in that Christian joy 
being proportional to our sorrow for sin, the more we love and appreciate the Savior's work, how does that affect our worship, our commitment, our victory? When we read Paul's words in Romans 12, the first verse there, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The mercies of God, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. You know, what what does that mean to us? How precious to us are the mercies of God? I believe we're touched deeply by the mercies of God only when we've mourned deeply for our sin, recognized and mourned our sin and our sinfulness. And then we say uh, with a fervency, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Blessed are they that mourn and are comforted for their own sins. <clears throat> you know, as, uh, as believers grow in holiness and become more like Jesus Christ, I think there comes uh, another kind of grieving that's like Jesus, and that is a growing grief for the sins of others. For family members, sin in the church, uh, local church or the universal church, sins of the nation, sins of the world, not, not in a harsh, judgmental way like that Pharisee, but <clears throat> remembering that Jesus was a man of sorrows, not because he was a sinner, but because he loved the world. Paul, he he uh, had a great sorrow for his people, for the Jews. I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. A sorrow for the sins of others. And there are numerous examples in the scripture of that. Daniel. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. Holy Daniel prayed for his people. We have sinned. And have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. He was mourning. Jeremiah, mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. Mourning for Israel. And Ezra would be another example. What comfort, what comfort is there for those who mourn for others? If we mourn for others, I think we're moved, we're more likely moved to pray for others. Uh, 
fervently with a confidence that God does work, that God is working. And there, there's a comfort in just bringing those needs to God. That's, uh, that's, that won't happen if we, if we don't. There's a comfort that comes in praying for burdens. It can move us to, to be involved, uh, reaching out in Christian compassion for the love of Christ and for the love of people. And there's a comfort in, in serving God uh, where, we, where we're able to. And I, as I was thinking about this and sorrowing for other people, I think it's probably true that some tears will never be dried until glory, until heaven. Some, some griefs will, will not be comforted until Christ takes his children home. Then it says that all tears shall be wiped from their eyes. You know, some tears may be uh, just uh, from parting loved, from loved ones. Some may be, some of those tears may uh, have been from pain of torture and persecution. Those under the altar that we read about in Revelation. And some of those tears that get to heaven uh, will be a grief for the sins of others. And as godly sorrow for personal sin works repentance in us and benefits us, a godly sorrow for the sins of others inspires us to pray, to intercede with God and brings the power of God to bear to the benefit of a sinner. And there is joy in heaven when a sinner accepts Christ and is saved. There is joy in the church. There is the joy for a conversion or a rededication. But in heaven, all tears will be wiped away. But I believe even there, <clears throat> there will not be mourning in heaven. I believe even there, I mean, that's my thinking from here, that we can't look upon our scarred Savior without remembering why those scars are there and how much He loved us and how we came to be able to be with Him in such a wonderful, wonderful place. I dwell in the high and holy place, God said. In a high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. May God bless us as we look to Him, as we mourn, as we follow Him, live for Him, and honor Him. Shall we have a blessing song?
You've been listening to The Morning Christian, a message by Leon Yoder. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.